You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Good morning. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you here. For those who are here in person, welcome. Today, we're talking about another way to replenish, and that is um, relational unity, okay? And this is where I think um, the thing I've missed quite a bit this summer, and yet at the same time, I'm getting to experience it in a lot of phone calls with many people, with um, the Zoom huddles that we do have, with events. Um, anytime now that I am with someone either um, through a digital means or in person, it becomes e- that the more precious. It is not a guarantee. Um, I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, that says, there is no guarantee or promise that we can physically be gathering together. And there are Christians throughout this world that are in prison because of their faith and persecuted and living kind of in underground churches and rarely get together because of a lot of other reasons than us. And he said, it is not a given that you and I can actually get together and worship the same God together. But he said, when it happens, it's that all the more precious. And I think we're finding that out. So let's start with prayer, and then we will get into the uh, session today, okay? Lord God, wow. Um, we need this more than ever. We need you to be present here. We need to have a unity with your goodness and grace that you would be in communion with us today and that we would be unified and have and experience the beauty and the glory of living together in unity as you so see fit, Lord God. You know how many people are facing loneliness these days in isolation, how many have been cut off. You see how polarized our society is right now, Lord God. You also see how um, we're not building each other up, but tearing each other down. And there are some deep wounds right now that are exposed in our society as well. And we pray, Lord, that you bring your healing and that you bring the unity and that your church would actually display it more than anyone else so that we know that, that the world knows that you were sent by the Father Lord God, I lift up to you right now, specifically our school system in these counties around us, through all the leadership that is trying to figure out a way to safely come back into school and to teach children in our area. We pray, Lord, for your wisdom and grace and understanding. Right now, a lot of things are still up in the air and there's a lot uh, going on. I pray for the safety of teachers and administrators, for the children as well for all those in the service industry, from bus drivers to the, um, to the uh, maintenance staff at any of the schools, Lord, to um, all of those individuals involved with the care of our children, Lord God, we pray that you would be with them and protect them and keep them in your care. And give to us, um, may your plans be, that may this go forward in a way that is pleasing to you. We lift up to you, O Lord, the return to the university system as well and pray that the plans for FGCU and all the universities throughout the United States would be done according to your will. We pray, Lord, for our state um, and our, our nation. We pray for our leadership, Lord, that you grant them both uh, wisdom, courage, humility, that they would be seeking your face, 
and that they would be aligning themselves with you, Lord God, and that uh, we as well, Lord, individually would be listening to you and looking to you for all good things. Lord God, um, we lift up to you our hospital uh, system here, our healthcare workers as well. As they reach and get close to capacity at this point in time, as so many are now over 20, I think about 24% of the latest figure I saw of those in the Lee Health System are uh, COVID positive. We pray, Lord God, that you bring your protection to each one who's working there, that you bless them, Lord, that you would have them be replenished so that they too can keep serving. And Lord, that you would teach us all wisdom and prudence and how we conduct ourselves, Lord, at this time. We need you more than ever, Lord God. And Holy Spirit, we need you more than ever that this word does not just bounce off of our ears or just hit our minds, but sinks deeply into our hearts and our lives, that it rearranges our desires and our aspirations, Lord, that all our hope and our love and our goodness and our purpose are found in you. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're looking at uh, relational unity, the fact that we were made for a community, for relationships, and that can be extremely replenishing when you're in those relationships. Um, so we're going to look at three points today from these two texts, okay? So we're going to look, uh, read Psalm 133, and then, which is a, uh, a psalm that just ex says how beautiful it is, how wonderful it is to live in unity. And then uh, from uh, John 17, the prayer that Jesus prayed right before his crucifixion for the church, for you and for me. So let's read, uh, first of all, Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And then how Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me." Relational unity. We're going to look at three points today. Uh, the beauty of it, the need for it, and the breakthrough to get to it. Okay? So first of all, the beauty. And this comes out in that psalm, Psalm 133, that first line, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And you might say, yeah, isn't it great? You know, my family members, my brothers and siblings are scattered across the country. And it's great when we get on the phone, you know, talk for 10 minutes and at the end of the phone call say love you and hang up and go on with our lives and everything. That is so far from the biblical understanding of what was going on in the psalm. It's not bad, but in this psalm, 
how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity meant that brothers actually lived on the same piece of ancestral property that they had inherited through the land of Israel. They were on the promised land together, living their lives next to each other, their families uh, always engaged with each other, their children and grandchildren and everyone living in harmony and beauty. It's one thing to get along with your siblings a thousand miles away, and it's another thing to be living together with them for a week. Right? <laughs> so, I, I, so a wonderful thing has just recently happened. Um, Laurel's sister, Jill, has moved down here. And I think it's a, it's a great blessing. But, it, you know, it's one thing to be from Idaho and Florida. And now it's together and it's good. But it's also like there's, there's always, you know, and like my brother and sister, we live in three different, uh, like thousands of miles apart. Um, and it's just not always easy to even spend a week together. And here, it's saying it can be good and pleasant to spend the whole time together. In fact, that's what's going on. Now, that's the world that God wants and God intends. Not just for relatives, like biological, but for you and me and for all of us, that we can have a good and pleasant unity within the family of God. Uh, Jesus kind of talks about that. He has moved in that prayer in John 17, what we read, from praying for just his disciples, the 12 and actually the 50 or 100 or couple hundred that were with him through the end. And for those who had seen him, he then moves in that prayer and says, now I'm praying for those who will believe in me because of their ministry. He said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So the beauty of the Father's love for the Son. So the Father loved the Son so much, has always loved the Son, glorifies the Son gives deference to the Son, gives everything to the Son, and the Son reflects his Father's love and responds back in the Spirit. The Trinity is what we call it. Um, it was kind of derivation of everything that we could from the, just the life of Jesus to how God is at heart, a community that is unified in love and glory and blessing of one another, that that kind of love that kind of glory, Jesus says, that kind of unity is to be given and we are to be sharing in it. It's a oneness lived out. And we see a little reflection of what Jesus was praying for in the book of Acts and how Christians actually were at the beginning living in some oneness. Now you might be going like, wait a minute, what does oneness actually mean? Is it lockstep unanimity on all matters so that basically we have all the same thoughts, all the same ideas, all the same aspirations, all the same direction, and there is no differences at all between us? I don't think so, because the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, and the Spirit is different, than, and yet they are fully unified. Do you understand? Um, we can't reduce God uh, to um, just one of the three persons of the Trinity, and 
And yet you can't separate God and the three persons of the Trinity in any way. Whatever the Father's doing, the Son is doing. Whatever the Son is doing, the Father is doing. But there is still a difference. The Son dies on the cross. The Father does not die there. You know, so they have different roles, different ministries. They're not, we are not to be clones of each other. And I think it's probably to your benefit that I am not, um, you, you are not to clone after me, okay? <laughs> we only need one of me, and that's more than enough, okay? But there's a unity yet that comes out in the church and in the early church. And I think we're going to see um, the ABCDs of that. The first is that the church, as we read in the book of Acts, was one in sharing their possessions, and we can see that from Acts chapter 4, where it says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Notice that? So there was a unity of love and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. It does not mean that they didn't have private property, but that they freely shared whatever they had with others. And they readily said, hey, you need this? Great. Right now, at a time of COVID, we need to be sharing more than ever, not hoarding. We need to help those who are facing unemployment and difficulties and questions and being willing to do that. And I'm thankful that Thrive has asked again and again, different members saying, hey, Pastor John, do you know anyone in the congregation who is in need? We need to be doing that more than ever. We are. This is the way family works, right? Parents don't... Um, keep a running bill of everything their kids have used throughout life. Do they? And say, okay, now you guys, uh, um, like my parents could say, John, you owe us about $175,000 at this point in time and about 20,000 hours of labor. <laughs> we don't do that. They share freely. We share freely. I don't keep tracks. You don't keep tabs. We just give. That's part of the unity, and that is so replenishing when that happens, to know that there are people who are going to be there for me in my need. Now, that kind of leads to a second part of that unity, and that is one in sharing our problems. You know, in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, Paul says, bear one another's burdens, that is, when something's going on somewhere in the body of Christ, we're there to carry it, bear it, be with, etc. We don't just uh, keep them back. And that also means when you're having a problem, when you're having a difficulty, that you share it. And if you're not sharing it and say, oh, I'm okay, no, we don't really, you are depriving the other members of the body of Christ of the unity that we need to display to the world. If you hold, and then you're also telling me that I shouldn't share my stuff when I have problems. That we should only keep it at a surface level. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you share your problems with others, you're actually doing a service to the body of Christ and showing the unity of the body of Christ. Then you are also giving me permission to share when I am, have burdens that I need others to help bear. We need to be able to do that. And then they also were one in sharing truth. Ephesians chapter 4 said we are to speak the truth in love together. So truth and love need to go together. And I think the reason Paul says in Ephesians and as the church lived this out 
is the reality is I've got a lot of delusions about myself. I don't know if you do. Well, I think you do because we all have the same human nature. I have a lot of blind spots. I don't see. I really have an inflated version of my importance. I have an inflated version of how truthful I am. And I have an uh, uh, inflated view that I've got the right perspective on everything. And if you don't think that that's the case, just look at Facebook for a while or Twitter and find out how everybody thinks their opinions are perfectly right and you just happen to be the one that doesn't get it. Right? So I have blind spots. We all do. If I'm left to myself, I could go off in a weird direction. Christian fellowship is the fact that together... I can see some of your blind spots a little better than you can see yours, and you can see some of my blind spots a little better than, because blind spots are things that I can't see. I need others to help me with. That's why I think Proverbs says it this way. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. That is, um, I can be self-deluded, and I can go off in a direction, think I'm totally right, and the more, and that can be destructive to the point where it can even lead to death. So I need other people, the community, to keep me in the truth and to go in that direction. So that's why Brant Hansen uh, said in a recent book, it's difficult, putting it mildly, to be put off family traditions, our own one-sided readings, our pet tribal biases, and our faith in our own intellects. It's a testament to the power of relationships when we do. In fact, relationships may be the only thing that leads us to turn around. It's speaking the truth in love. That is, because I know you love me when you're speaking truth to me, I know you're doing it for my good and not against me. Because it's really hard to hear truth about myself anyways. And it's only in a relationship where I know that you actually do care for my good that I'm going to be able to hear it at all. We need that. We all need that. And finally, I think Christians, we're also one in sharing failure. And you might go like, what? Um, you know, we, we are living, some people are calling it, and I think it's over uh, the uh, that we live in a cancel culture. I think that's pushing it a little far as well, you know. But there is a tendency, there is really not much grace and forgiveness in our society. Okay? So when somebody blows it, when somebody messes up in one area, there is a tendency for us to say, we need to prove, make a point and cut them t completely off. And never listen to them again. Shun them push them completely out. The Christian church didn't do that at the beginning. I don't know if you realize this, the two greatest leaders in the early church were the two biggest failures. Peter, he, who, the leader of the disciples, right? I will never forsake you. I will never deny you. Denies Jesus three times, runs away as a coward. And even in the book of Acts, as he is restored, we still see Peter ends up not quite getting it until God shows him a vision. And then he goes to the house of Cornelius, a centurion, and then finally says, oh, now I see that God shows no partiality. Before that, he was still thinking in terms of Jew, Gentile, um, chosen, not chosen, you know, all of this stuff. So even then, Peter, one of the leaders, and then Paul, 
maybe even worse. He would call himself the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. He persecuted the church. Now consider this, the early church that accepted and welcomed Paul back in included relatives and family members of people that Paul had jailed and possibly even brought to their death. And they welcomed him in. Do you understand the depth of the unity that they were showing in um, one in sharing failure and forgiveness and grace? So sharing possessions, sharing problems, sharing truth, sharing failures, that's the beauty how good and pleasant it is when Christians dwell together in unity. So the need. Um, it should be obvious during COVID-19. It should be obvious right now with all of our societal tensions, with the racism that's come out, with the tension between who's saying what and what's going on and all that stuff, and all the power plays that are going on and nothing getting solved at this point in time. It's pretty sad. But the needs uh, deeply on an individual and a corporate level. Um, in 1980, uh, studies have shown that about 20% of the American population was lonely. Now, the AARP then did a new survey in 2010 to gauge loneliness. And you know what happened? It's more than doubled. It's over 40%. So almost half of the population is facing chronic loneliness. We are more polarized than ever before, more isolated and more lonely. And to deny that you are lonely is as foolish as to deny that you are hungry. And you might kind of question that and go like, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing fine. And yeah, um, that's why I love what Brene Brown said in an article. She wrote this. If you're anything like me and you find yourself questioning the idea that starvation and loneliness are equally life-threatening, Consider this 2015 meta-analysis of studies on loneliness, in which researchers found the following. Living with air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%, living with obesity 20%, excessive drinking 30%, and living with loneliness, it increases our odds of dying early by 45%. It's a pandemic. It's deep. If you're feeling exhausted or spent, it might be because you are also disconnected and you are not getting replenished by community. And that's one reason why we need this relational unity. Um, I understand it's very difficult because so many of us have not experienced relational unity. We haven't experienced it because a lot of churches are not relationally unified. Fellowship in Christian churches often is uh, a word that's used, but is not actually experienced. They're not one in sharing their possessions. They're not one in sharing their hurts and problems. They're not one in sharing the truth, and they're not one in sharing their failures with each other. They are uh, just a plug-in and a plug-out. Give me an hour, give me a little boost, give me a little fix, give me a little entertainment. I'm out of here. And the reason a lot of people are doing that as well is because they've been burned. They've been hurt. They've been scarred by how churches have acted toward one another. And that's where I think Jesus' prayer comes in. Because he's still praying. This is Jesus at his last words. His last thing that he's going to do is he prays to the Father, 
The disciples overhear this prayer. And the thing he's praying about is not the weather. It's not um, peripheral matters. It's the most important thing to him. And he prays simply this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this is how the world will know that the Father has sent me. And what is that? That my people are one, one unit, one. One. And the world looks at it and goes like, wow, Jesus must have really come. Jesus must be real. It becomes the ultimate, the top witness of the reality of God's love in Jesus Christ in this world is how we treat one another, how we are together, how we pray for one another, forgive one another, love one another, care for one another. And you've known too many churches, and I've been a part of churches where there's too much disunity. There's gossip, political power plays going on, indifference, you know, everything's so nice and but really, we don't really love each other. We just kind of tolerate each other. There have been churches that are like that and where biases are present, where racial tensions are under the surface and allowed to keep going, where people are really not welcomed and embraced for who they are, but only if they fit in to a certain category or a certain expectation. What's that showing? Not the beauty of Jesus. That's why unity is so important. And I'm thankful that we're on the way here at Thrive. We're not, we're trying to do this more. We're trying to look and say, hey, are we what we think we are or do we need to improve? How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. So how do we break through to more of that? So tell me, you know, why do people gossip? Okay. Why are there sometimes factions within any group or the church? Why do people compare themselves with each other and feel threatened if somebody has more success than they? Deep in our hearts, what we're trying to do in those situations is I'm trying to position myself and find my own justification for my value, my worth, my importance, my significance, as if I don't have that. I've got to come up with it. And so relationships become just political negotiations. And everyone's kind of questioning my uh, worth or my place or my future destiny. But those are the things that are actually given freely by God through Jesus Christ. It's out of my insecurities that those things happen. But when I know I have those things in Jesus Christ, when I have my destiny, my future, when I know I am loved by God, when that's secure, then I can let go of all that other stuff. I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote it in his book, Life Together. He said, Christians are persons who no longer seek their salvation, their deliverance, their justification in themselves, but in Christ Jesus alone. It's outside of me. 
Anytime I look at myself to try to justify um, why I'm here, it's too much. Yuck. But when I look to Jesus and I see in him that I am welcomed, I am embraced, I am forgiven, I am loved, then I can let go of all those delusions about myself and all my need to try to justify and place myself above others. That's what Jesus says, the breakthrough in what he prays for. He says this, he prays this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Do you realize that? So the glory that the Father has had, that the Father has always been so pleased with the Son, rejoices in the Son, loves the Son, completely is enamored by the Son, defers to the Son, cannot think more of the Son. That is the glory that Jesus has always had, and he says he gives it to you. This is what you get in Christ. You are honored and valued and celebrated when Jesus when the father speaks at Jesus baptism and when the father speaks again at Jesus transfiguration in the gospels you hear these words this is my son whom i love and whom i am well pleased and Jesus says those are words are true for you you are the beloved in whom god is well pleased not just a little but fully pleased and then he goes on that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one as we are one i and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me Do you realize that? At this very moment, the Father loves you as much as he loves his own son. (laughs) You know, we say, oh yeah, God loves me. But he loves you equally as he loves Jesus. That is absolutely amazing. You are united with Jesus Christ in the love towards the Father and the love of the Father. All of a sudden, when when you realize that, and this does not happen easily. It's not just, oh, that's what it, it is. How this came about to make sure this was certain for you and me is that when Jesus came into this world, he actually was stripped of his dignity and his honor and his position, and his status before the Father. Everything was removed from him upon the cross. He experienced the scorn and the shame and the derision of the world. And the Father himself even walked away from him. And he went through hellish torment. Though only a moment in time, only a few hours, it was existentially the eternity, so that there is no more of that for you or for me or for anyone that is needed. None. It is all gone. That is how much the Father has loved you. That Jesus would take your place and that you would be given his place. When you start to understand the love of the Father like that, all of a sudden your hearts are recreated. 
As Ezekiel says in his book, your heart of stone is removed and you are given again a heart of flesh. You start to drop your agendas. You start to stop the controlling nature that we all have. We drop our politics and our opinions and our attitudes and our positioning and our quest for significance. We let that all go and let God have his agenda with us because, of course, it is good. Jesus is everything. And we get to possess freely everything that Jesus has done for us. So we can be one in sharing our possessions, one in sharing our burdens, one in sharing the truth, and one in sharing even our failures. So Christian community, um, Bonhoeffer said this as well in his book, Life Together. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize. In other words, we don't have to say, okay, we better get up to it. But it's a reality that God has created in Christ and says, here it is, and you get to participate in it. So we can be replenished. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's great, John, but boy, this has been a tough time these last few months. We're also cut off and isolated. That's why, I mean, this is why we're trying to do Zoom huddles. We're trying to have any types of gatherings we can. We want, I love it when I hear members calling each other up on the phone just to check in, seeing how they're doing, to share their love. I know we cannot necessarily physically be together. We don't have those wonderful hangout times where we can all have a meal together. And yet, we can still enjoy and be replenished by relational unity. And you all can participate in that. And we all get to participate in that. And I'm glad when we're doing it. If you need, you know, this. So, so you haven't been involved in a Zoom huddle. So what? That's okay. Um, we can't. We don't need to go back. We can go forward right now and say, okay, I have a need. I have felt too cut off. It's time to get involved. It's time to dive into it. It's time to let go. It's time to open up. It's time to be involved in what God has already given us in Jesus Christ. We get to participate in the fact that God has opened up his heart to the world in Jesus, and we can receive it. So don't give in. Don't drop out. But live daringly and give freely and be replenished. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for how you are working in our lives. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be working exceeding and abundantly beyond all we can ask or think at this point in time, that you would be drawing us to you, that you would, um, that you would use this time, even um, as we are separated physically from each other, to unite us and to be replenished by the unity that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, now for those who are lonely, that you would um, give us the opportunity to reach out and be your hands and feet and ears and heart for them. For those who are experiencing uh, lots of struggles because of employment and or um, or financially, Lord, that we would be one with them and share with them and lift them up, that we would share each other's burdens, that we would even share each other's failures and we could share each other the grace and forgiveness of God. 
Lord God, we lift up to you in that light. Andy Blankenship, as you know, she's been going through uh, <laughs> chemotherapy for her cancer of the tongue. We pray, Lord, that you would replenish her this day, that you'd bring your healing to bear in her life. We thank you, Lord God, that you've been with um, Pastor John Zender as he had been hospitalized with COVID-19 and is Thank you, Lord, for bringing him home. Continue his recovery there. Bless him and direct his church and that ministry in that light. We lift up to you, O Lord, um, this fellowship. We ask that we would live into the reality of what you've given, that we would understand that we are loved as much as Jesus has been loved, Father, and that we can love each other as you have loved us. Bless our time as we enter into a time of communion after we, uh, this next song, Lord God. Prepare our hearts right now. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have not loved you with our whole heart or soul or mind, not even close. And we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have been too indifferent, too quick to judge, too quick to dismiss, too fast, Lord, to speak and too slow to listen. Forgive us for all of these things, Lord God, and renew us, commune with us, come to us, replenish us this day as you give us, uh, with the bread and the wine, your amazing presence, yourself coming to abide in us and with us and for us, Lord God. We thank you for these things. All of this, Lord, we... And just lift up to you this day, confident you hear us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.